one of the biggest events is a is a juve with a street fit and, and with them around 2015 2016 the government has really clamped down on the issue of on having wet fets in the streets because the water situation began the drought conditions began back then fast forward to 2023 we have a 40 percent rainfall deficit which has resulted in water rationing throughout the island where i live i live on a hill we are one of the sources of water uh, water don't ever go where i live whenever there's a drought over the years it is now impacting us because we have water that normally comes that we have in that particular area is now being rerouted to other areas and that 40 percent rainfall deficit has resulted in significant rationing the government is now trying to find new avenues new sources of water they have been purchasing significant amount of water from a private company one of the hotels on the island so that underscores that we are facing significant drought um and we've been hearing about this all across the international spirit boat at the united nations the imf the world bank you know all these climate agencies but i don't think necessarily people fully understand the impact that climate change is having on small states like St. Kitts and Nevis. I mean, I'm somebody who likes to be under the shower for quite some time, but I can't do that. You know, the, the water levels are very low whenever it's on. Uh, you eat a full uh, buckets of water to, to, to shower, or you just have to do a deal with the trickles that are coming through the pipes. <laughs> Okay, I'm your host and I'm Climate Trucker's Caribbean Program Officer. In this episode, we will be looking at the issue of uh, climate finance. Today, we have in our podcast recording none other than Vishani Raghubir from Guyana, Kyle Foster from Barbados, German Abel from St. Kitts and Nevis. All three of them are journalists from the region who are focusing on climate reporting. So welcome, everyone. Hello, thank you. Hi, Johanna. Thanks for having us today. My pleasure is mine. Welcome, Jermaine. Hi, everyone. And now that you're on with your mic, Jermaine, just just to let our our listeners know who you are, just tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> um, I'm Jermaine Abel, based in St. Kitts and Nevis, a senior journalist uh, covering everything on the sun, local, regional, and international news. Um, I'm currently serving as the second vice president of the media association of Incentives and Nevis, and also I am a doctoral student. That's great. Thank you, Jermaine. What about you, Vishani? Hi, thanks. So I'm Vishani Ragbir. I'm a 23-year-old journalist from Ghana. Um, I live in Dorsum, which is the capital city, like German, and I'm sure a lot of my colleagues in journalism across the Caribbean. I focus on on 
covering everything basically, but I do have a keen interest in science journalism. So that involves climate change and the environment, technology, and health. And I'm really happy that I'm here with you folks today. Thank you very much, Vishani. And at not, and then we have Kyle from Barbados. Hello, so I'm Kyle Foster. I'm from Barbados and I'm 23 years old. Um, I studied ecology and conservation biology, and I also like to write. So what I'm doing is combining both of those passions, uh, writing on environmental issues. So that's what I spend my time doing, um, helping to uh, just bring awareness to the general public on things that are affecting our environment. I'm also working part-time as an environmental coordinator at a hotel, um, just helping them to put into place their sustainability initiatives. So that's how I spend my time. Thank you very much, everyone, for sharing who you are and what you guys do. And the work that you guys do is very is incredible and very important in the region. As we know, climate change is impacting the Caribbean very hard. So um, they will be sharing their perspective today, um, their journalistic experience, and the things they have gleaned in their research or interest in this subject. Um, the subject today is climate finance. And I know that um, they have um, put it together very in a very nice uh, title, and it's like, money talks, how are Caribbean countries getting climate finances? So we know that finances are a big part of climate change, something that uh, the leaders in the Caribbean are like constantly talking about when it comes to COP, when there are conferences um, in other parts of the world, everyone is talking about when is the finance going to come? But before we, go, we are going to answer that question or ask them what they think about it, let's hear from them what climate change is doing in their country. So, Vishani, how is climate change impacting Guyana? Yeah, thanks for that. I think one of the more visible ways climate change is affecting Guyana, and it's something that we talk about a lot when we consider climate change here in Guyana, it's flooding. So, I mentioned earlier that I live in Jorchong, the capital city. Jorchong is located on the northernmost part of Guyana, uh, so basically, the northernmost part is known as the low-coastal plain and hugs the Atlantic Ocean. And what's interesting about that is that we are below sea level. And just by virtue of being just next to the Atlantic Ocean, we're particularly vulnerable to rising sea levels, which is a problem associated with the climate crisis. And so Guyana generally is heavily affected by flooding. And that's what we talk about a lot when we talk about how the climate crisis and climate change affects the country. Of course, the climate change and climate crisis affects us in a lot of other ways. Um, as you folks all know, GAN is leading the charge, so to speak, for uh, a bigger food security push, so to say, in the Caribbean community, CARICOM. Um, but our food systems are also very vulnerable to climate change, and we haven't fully figured out how are we adapting to these changing weather patterns? Right now we're experiencing a drought and there's a lot of conversation locally about, okay, next month we have to harvest, uh, next month we have to plant rice, sorry, and where are we gonna get the water that we need because to plant rice, you need so much water. So another huge focus for us 
um, when it comes to climate change is the impact of those extreme weather events, drought being the current one, and then there's flooding, which is associated with rising sea levels I mentioned earlier, and also heavy rainfall. Hmm. Interesting, Vishani. So that's something I hear a lot because even in Suriname, where I live, we are still figuring out how to deal with changing weather patterns and um, it's affecting like all the sectors. So how is it in, uh, how is it in your, on your island, Jermaine? It's a very, very long story, but I'll, I'll try to cut it short. So this issue has been going on for quite some time and to bring it home to people for a number of years, I think it's, it's, um, Carnival is normally held in December, January, October, November, December, January. One of the biggest events is a, is a juve with a street fet and, and wet dump. Around 2015, 2016, the government has really clamped down on the issue of on having wet fets in the streets because the water situation began, the drought conditions began back then. Fast forward to 2023, we have a 40% rainfall deficit, which has resulted in water rationing throughout the island. Where I live, I live on a hill. We are one of the sources of water. Uh, water don't ever go where I live whenever there's a drought over the years. It is now impacting us because we have water that normally comes that we have in that particular area is now being rerouted to other areas. And that 40% rainfall deficit has resulted in significant rationing. The government is now trying to find new avenues, new sources of water they have been purchasing significant amount of water from a private company, one of the hotels on the island. So that underscores that we are facing significant drought. Um, and we've been hearing about this all across the International Spirit Boat at the United Nations, the IMF, the World Bank, you know, all these climate agencies. But I don't think necessarily people fully understand the impact that climate change is having on small states like St. Kitts and Nevis. I mean, I'm somebody who likes to be under the shower for quite some time, but I can't do that. You know, the, the water levels are very low whenever it's on. Uh, you eat a full uh, buckets of water to, to, to shower, or you just have to do a deal with the trickles that are coming through the pipes um, at, uh, whenever the water is on. And this is even spilling into the uh, fire service sector because they're also being strained in having to um, transport water all throughout the islands because of the shortage in certain areas including my area which is in peters which is one of the highest points on the island and also they have to fight fire so just underscore that we're facing significant drought conditions on the island even though tropical storms have passed there is still that 40% rainfall deficit on the island at the moment. Thank you very much, Jermaine. I'm, I'm holding on to, there is a lack of awareness of the of the impacts of climate change. Kyle, how is it in Barbados? Is it 
tell us more about what the situation right now is with climate change, but how is it with the awareness in Barbados? Um, well, much like Vashani and Guyana and Jermaine and St. Kitts and Nevis, we are experiencing issues with water, um, both with fresh water and the marine environment. So Barbados, geologically, we're a, a flat, low-lying island made up of limestone. And we get a lot, we get our water, our main source of fresh water is from um, ground, underground water. So aquifers that are found below the ground. Um, and this fresh, well, Barbados is a water scarce country, um, even without the effects of climate change, but they're exacerbating the water issue because we have salt water intrusion occurring on various parts of the island, on the west coast especially. Um, and then with the last couple weeks or so, um, we've been experiencing extreme heat. Um, so people have been using water, a lot more water, in order to cool themselves. As Jermaine said, he likes to spend a lot of time under the shower. Plenty of us do. And it's one of the only ways that we can find relief from, from the heat. Um, and then we also have, in terms of our marine environment, uh, our coral reefs experiencing the same heat um, and they're being degraded. And these reefs are important, not only for tourism, but because of the ecosystem services that they provide protection um, of our coasts from extreme weather events and storm surge. And then that protects our uh, coastline, the property and the lives of people. Um, so that's how we have, those are the issues surrounding climate change that we've been mainly experiencing. In terms of awareness, I, I think because of our prime minister, um, being on the global stage, Barbadians have started to pay more attention to environmental issues. So I think that hopefully uh, we'll become more aware of how we use our resources because fresh water is very important. Um, and our prime minister has always said to us that the future wars will be started over fresh water. And we need to be very careful as to how we use our water. So I think awareness is slowly, it's, it's, the message is slowly getting there. Thank you very much, Kyle. The message is slowly getting there, but the only thing I'm afraid of is that while, while it reaches the people, the message that it won't be too late. From here on, um, we're going to climate change because we had we talked about what's happening in our countries when, when it comes to climate change, but adaptation is a big part of, of it. And adaptation comes with financing, finance. If you don't have money, you almost cannot adapt to all these impacts that are happening. So what is being done in your countries from like the government? And what do you think should be happening more when it comes to climate finance globally? Uh, Rishani, what are your thoughts on that? Are there any significant steps being taken in Guyana right now when it comes to climate finance? 
Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Guyana has been part of the CARICOM team calling for climate financing globally. We all know about that $100 billion promise annually that hasn't been fulfilled. But climate finance, I think, is really interesting here in Guyana because climate finance and the lack thereof is part of the reason why Guyana is actually pursuing its carbon credits venture right now. And that's something not a lot of people know about. So the argument has been that we have these vast forests. They cover a land area the size of England and Scotland combined. Um, it's second only to Suriname, Johannes. And we've been arguing that we've been protecting these forests for so long. We deserve some kind of compensation because we're very vulnerable to climate change. For example, our coastline is being battered by the Atlantic Ocean and we need sea defenses in place and we need money to put those sea defenses in place. So while you're not giving us this money promises globally since about 2009, we're going to go ahead and find ways to make money on our own. So part of the underlying argument for our carbon credits venture, whereby we're essentially getting payments to keep our forests intact, is we have huge adaptation and mitigation needs. We're not getting the money. So we're going to do whatever we have to do, and that is getting payments for our forests so that we would be able to basically protect ourselves. That's really, that has been the, the argument since about December last year when we entered into this new agreement with the Tech Corporation. Interestingly, one of the oil companies producing oil uh, offshore Guyana. Ever since we entered into that agreement, it's become increasingly known that one of the reasons why we're doing this is because we need the money. We're not getting the money. So we're going to go find ways of getting the money. And I think that's one of the really big things that's going right now for Guyana in terms of climate financing. Thank you very much, Rishani. And I can totally agree with you. Um, Suriname and Guyana are taking the lead now when it comes to carbon credits. Um, I know that um, this week um, Suriname has determined to take um, 30 US dollars for one carbon credit. That's uh, what, what the government has decided on. But Guishani, I have a, I have a question for you. We know that the, the, the Caribbean is contributing almost nothing to climate change. But looking at the oil development in Guyana and Suriname right now, do you think it will have any effect on our position as a Caribbean when it comes in uh, when it comes to to COP when we when we try to defend the Caribbean how, that how vulnerable we are and that we really need the financing? Will it have any effect? Yeah, I struggle with that question so much in my reporting when I engage officials and just generally wrapping my own head around it because on one hand for since forever you've been part of this small group um that you've been affected and you're, you're very vulnerable to climate change but now you're pursuing an industry and you're developing an industry that is notorious for contributing to climate change the very harmful emissions coming out of the oil and gas industry contributes to climate change that's the bottom line of it and i sometimes think that how do we sort of speak with a level of credibility 
or moral authority, maybe, um, when we call, we as in Diana and Suriname, how do we speak with that level of authority when we are now doing something that contributes to climate change? But what I've becoming, what has become a little bit clearer for me is that that is sort of like a very basic black and white way of looking at the issue also. And that's on me and that I need to like think more about the issue, think about the nuances associated with it. So while I can't say definitively this will bolster our argument or this will weaken our argument, what I've been learning based on my reporting, but also just based on my intentions of going out there and just talking to people is that one, the reality is for years, Guyana and Suriname, we've had very large intact forests. We could have cut down these forests, and for whatever reason, we haven't. Uh, and those forests have contributed to saving the environment. We are very vulnerable to the effects of climate change because we are small developing countries. Um, we both sit on the northern edge of the continent of South America. Uh, so rising sea levels a huge problem for us. So those are two facts. The third fact, yes, we have a developing oil and gas industry and we are contributing to climate change. There's no way of running from that. But are we contributing so much that it conflicts with what we've been doing to save the environment? I don't know. I can't quantify it myself. But I know that the argument is, hey, for years we've been protecting the environment. And we also have developmental needs. So why can't you let us develop our resources? And why aren't you slowing down instead of asking us to slow down before you do? And that's all to say that I don't have a definitive answer on it. For me personally, I think it does put us in a position where we don't have that much moral authority as compared to maybe if we weren't producing oil and gas, then yes, we've had we would have been the people with the most moral authority to speak on these issues. So yeah, I think it diminishes our stance a little bit, but I think there are other facts that we also have to consider because it isn't a black and white situation, so to speak. Thank you very much, Vishani. Kyle and Jermaine, I'm looking at Kyle first. What is your opinion on this? Because while we as a Caribbean are asking and, and, and almost begging for climate finance, we see too that two countries that are part of the Caribbean are developing their offshore industry. Will it affect your position as, uh, as a country, as an island, when it comes to negotiations about climate finance? What's your opinion on it, Kyle? Um, well, I think that while these countries are pursuing um avenues that are considered what would contribute to towards climate change I, I still personally don't think that they will contribute to the scale that wealthier northern countries have so i don't think that it would negate the the argument for um larger countries financing uh the the south Thank you very much, Kyle. Jermaine, what's your opinion on, on this topic? Well, I'm going to be more pragmatic. Um, when we look specifically at places like 
Guyana, uh, St. Kitts, St. Nevis, Barbados, we do not have the level of resources to develop anything. St. Kitts, St. Nevis, at this point, is seeking to build a smart, energy efficient, um, sustainable hospital that will be climate smart. If we are not getting resources to fight climate change, to do to fight loss and damage, we have to find avenues in which to to build for ourselves. I think Guyana and Suriname being involved in this sector puts them right at the heart of the issue. Because let's say Guyana and Suriname do not necessarily have oil or they were not they didn't find oil. What would have been the issue at hand? The issue at hand would have been Guyana and Suriname going out like the rest of the region and begging for funds to deal with the issue. What Guyana and Suriname has right now is the opportunity to lead the region in becoming climate smart and climate resilient using the resources that they have. They can fight and lay the groundwork on the international scene and say, hey, look, even though we have oil and gas, we are fighting, uh, our, we're assisting in fighting. We may not necessarily be, uh, we may not necessarily be uh, emitting as much as the developed countries, but we also need funds. Our funds are going towards building resilience building resilience in the sense that we are getting more climate smart, we get more climate resilient. But what about our other partners in the region? What about a small state like Dominica that was significantly impacted by Irma and Marie and still they still have not returned to pre-Irma stage? What about a small island like Antigua and Barbuda, Dominica? I agree with some of what um, Fishani said, but I look at it from a broader perspective that you put the teeth to help fight the teeth, right? You have to be realistic and they, and, and that's where Gyan and Suriname will be leading the charge in getting the message over to the developed world because we can only sing, but we don't have any clout as small states. But if we have people like Suriname and Guyana who have the, the leverage to be part of these bigger international agencies and so forth, they will be able to fight for us and be able to lay the groundwork for the small states that cannot necessarily attain that level. Hello? Uh, what, can I come yes, back in? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just wanted to jump back in to say that I definitely agree with Jermaine, and that's something I didn't talk about before, and I'm really glad that you brought it. The carbon credits venture I mentioned, why we're pursuing it is because we don't have money for our mitigation and adaptation needs. But generally, carbon credits and oil and gas are two avenues we're also pursuing because we have huge developmental needs as well, and we need money. If you want people to live better, you want better infrastructure, you want better education, better health, we need money. So I don't say it to be sympathetic to what Diane is doing in terms of carbon credits, which has its own set of concerns, or the oil and gas industry, which 
is very concerning. But like German mentioned, the reality is we are countries that have huge developmental needs. We're countries that underwent years, centuries of exploitation. And we have been set back in our development while other countries were developed based on our exploitation. And what we're doing now is, in my head, just trying to catch up in whatever way we can. So I'm really glad Jeremy brought that up. Thank you very much. So Jeremy said Suriname and Guyana should take the lead when it comes to climate change. And Vishani is totally agreeing with Jermaine when it comes to, you know, that these two countries need to take the lead, you know, to be able to be able to stand better grounds out there. But the, the question where we're coming back at is we're talking about money. And yes, we do need the money because without money, we can't do anything in the region, not in our countries. And if we cannot do anything in the countries, we cannot do anything in the communities who are very much vulnerable to climate change impacts. From where should we get the money and how should the money come to our countries? Kyle, what's your opinion on that? Right, so Barbados, unlike Guyana and Suriname, we don't have the resources that we can exploit to get the money that we need to be able to develop our infrastructure um, so that we can be more resilient to climate change. So feeling that we've sought funding from other places. So we have the Green Climate Fund, um, which is the result of the Paris Agreement. And that focuses on climate change mitigation, adaptation, and finance. So by co-financing uh, 2.6 million US dollars, the Green Climate Fund has helped Barbados put measures and infrastructure in place to conserve its water supply and adapt to a changing climate. Um, some of these measures include the installation of solar power at pumping stations for greater resilience, because uh, we have a lot of tropical storms and hurricanes and these weather events often knock out uh, the electrical power and that leaves some areas of the island uh, unable to get water for extended periods of time. Um, and that makes this alternate ener energy source important. Um, and also with it being a renewable energy source, it also lowers the island's very small carbon footprint. Um, the funding also allows for the replacement of some of the island's corroded cast iron uh, water pipes, which were laid over 150 years ago, and they leak frequently. Uh, so these have been replaced with modern PVC, and that also aids in water conservation. Uh, we also had the, G the Green Climate Fund also allowed us to uh, put in port portable water tanks, uh, in communities and schools. And then we also have the Barbados Blue Bonds. So in 2022, the government of Barbados, the Nature Conservancy and the Inter-American Development Bank and some other parties were able to strike a deal which unlocked about 50 million US dollars in funding. And that helps towards the marine conservation in Barbados through Barbados Blue Bonds. So that's like a, a form of, of a debt for nature swap. So that is like the refinancing of sovereign debt at a lower interest rate. And then that would allow Barbados to 
allocate the savings towards marine conservation, which is important. So that's that's how we've been uh, finding ways to make the island more climate resilient. Thank you very much, Kyle. Jermaine, isn't uh, Keats and Nevis also so lucky to get climate finance? Uh, it, it, it has gotten a bit of climate finance, but the reality is we have to look at whether or not that's enough, even if we get 10 million or 20 million, right? I, you ask the question how we should get the money. Um, this is a bit funny, but I think that we should get a private jet, go somewhere, get the money, pack it on the plane, hundreds of billions of dollars, pack it on the plane and fly it into Kitts or into the Caribbean. Full stop. Let us do what we want with the money to build resilience. Right. But the issue really is getting or putting a figure to climate financing is not something that we can estimate. If we're being realistic about climate financing, we have to be focused on building every year or rebuilding every year. As Kyle said, barbells have been changing pipes, has been solar panel and all that. That's good, right? This is 2023. You, do, you, you spend 100 million US dollars on that. Next year, God forbid, a hurricane comes, it destroys that. God forbid you're struck by two um, hurricanes or you, you get a, a major flooding because of rainfall. Then you have to start rebuilding. And then the, the cycle continues for six months of the year, the following year, right? Realistically, we cannot necessarily put um, a figure to it. You have to be, uh, you have to be general and estimate, but in your estimation, you have to be realistic that things will happen. And the IMF, for example, just quickly let me highlight this. The, the IMF said in one of its blog, Caribbean countries have only been approved for $800 million for climate change. And this was a recent blog that was, that was posted. But is that enough for the Caribbean region? The Caribbean is the most exposed region to climate-related natural disasters with estimated adaptation investment needs of more than $100 billion, which is equal to about one-third of its annual economic output. It's, it's it, I, I mean, I might sound like I'm going around in circles, but it is very, very difficult when we have to deal with natural disasters. One of the, some of the highest energy costs in the world. We have to deal with food issues. We have to deal with hospitals that are not necessarily um, climate resilient. So we have a lot to do, but the world itself is not being realistic in acknowledging that this is what it is. We keep talking, talking, talking. You know, I attended the UN General Assembly recently, and that in and of itself is another issue because you go there, you talk. Suriname's president said it. You talk last year, we come back again, we talk again this year, but I'll be finding anything. COP28 is upcoming. We're going to talk. We need $100 billion. The world is not necessarily going to contribute, those developed countries are not necessarily going to contribute to climate resilient funds because if you put 10 million US dollars into it, you're going to acknowledge that you are the ones responsible for causing climate change. Thank you very much, Jermaine. Wishani, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. I think climate financing has been a huge problem and continues to be a huge problem for a number of reasons. I think the most important thing is that we haven't been getting the finances that we need. We, we just haven't. However, in Ghana's case, we have had some positives. So I mentioned our carbon credits venture. That's one way we're getting money. Obviously, oil and gas, another way we're getting money. Uh, but because I think more recently we've started, or started again maybe, talking so much about our forest, people are paying attention. So the European Union, for example, they've been providing, well, they've started to provide millions of dollars for forest conservation. Actually, the entire dynamic, the entire relationship between Diane and the European now is focused on uh, forest conservation, preservation, and supporting our coastal defenses, um, which are two very crucial parts of the climate co conversation here in Guyana. And Kyle spoke a lot about the financial pushes, I would say, that Barbados has been advocating for, and Ghana has been supporting those initiatives on every forum possible. Um, the Bridgestone Initiative, for example, is something that has our unequivocal support. Uh, we've been calling for the new index for climate financing when we talk about loans, because as a country that's a work in progress, we're taking loans, we're taking lots of loans, we're borrowing a lot of money. Um, but those loans, the argument has been, need to be more responsive to our reality, which, as German pointed out, our reality is that we are so vulnerable to natural disasters. So I think when it comes to getting finances here in Guyana, it's not all bad. It's not that we're not getting money, but it's just that the money is not enough. And I think that has been the argument of Guyana, of all the Caribbean countries for so long. The money is just not enough. We have all these pressing needs. And you promised us money. You recognize that we have challenges. You promised us money, but the money is just not coming. And just to say, that's something that I would like to see coming out of COP28. It would frustrate me so much. Like German mentioned, if COP28, we just go there and we talk some more, and we don't actually see pen to paper, countries signing that they are going to give, they are going to release these funds, whether it's the 100 billion, uh, whether there are any changes to that or whatever it might be. It would frustrate me personally so much if we don't get those funds. Thank you very much, Vishani. So while Vishani and Kyle are saying that, yes, we are getting the money, Jermaine is saying, yes, we are getting the money too, but is it enough? And who decides what amount of money do, do, does the Caribbean get? Is 800 million uh, enough? What is gonna happen with the, with the fund at COP? So looking at climate finance, the whole topic around uh, COP28 will be that fund is it going to be operational or not? Um, looking at the time, I, I think that's the right topic to, to close this um, this podcast episode. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts on COP28? What is going to, what, is, what are your expectations looking at the needs of your country when it comes to climate finance at COP28? Um, with my country, as as Jermaine said, um, we're just hoping that it's not just going to be all talk and that some action is actually going to take place. 
um, our Prime Minister Mia Motley has been very vocal in saying that enough is enough and we need we need we need to take action. Um, so I'm hoping that with COP28 that we see some progress and that we don't waste another year because we don't have any we don't have time time is not on our side so i think that action needs to take place and enough talking Vishani, what are yeah, your expectations I agree. <laughs> I agree um with kyle like i haven't been following i'm a pretty young person i haven't been following the climate talk since the beginning. I've only started paying attention to it for about maybe five, six years now, not, not a long, long time. And it has already frustrated me because I see the effects of climate change. I see how my country is affected. I see how countries in the Caribbean are affected. I see how countries around the world are affected. I think going into COP, I really want to see very strong commitment. I want to see pen to paper um, on developed countries saying, you know, this is the money we're going to provide and actually providing the money, actually releasing the funds. For Ghana specifically, I know one thing that we're heading into COP also for is to get more support for our carbon credits. I would also like to see how that plays out in terms of Ghana being able to secure more support, especially more financial support at COP28 from its carbon credit center. So in Ghana specifically, that's something I'm looking out for. But generally COP28 as a whole, as it relates to climate financing and the plight of developing countries like us here in the Caribbean community, in the Caribbean, I really want to see pen to paper and those funds, the funds that have been promised for more than two decades now, just be dispersed. Thank you very much, Vishani. Jermaine? Well, I, I just want to say, Vishani, you're not young. You 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 haven't missed anything because it's the same discussion that you you're frustrated about is what has been going on for the, for a number of years. You know, we can't necessarily come to an agreement. But um, I just want to say this: I don't have any expectations coming out of COP because a year ago we entered COP with an expectation that the region and the developing world and small island developing states actually would come out with some level of increased financing. The world has agreed on that. But realistically, we haven't gone anywhere between last year and this year, or we haven't really made much gains over the last year. It it, it, it has come to the point that, you know, Mr. Abel just dresses up with a suit, he travels the world, he sits down, he discusses um, some of the issues, he laid this out, and then we agree that this is what it's going to be. And then next year, then he flies out and then we come back again next year. You know, he looks all good, put on some cologne and he gone into this big assembly in another country and he lays out the same issues that being having. Category five storms come brush his country and the cycle continues, continues, continues until somebody wakes up with an epiphany that we really need to pump more monies into fighting climate change for small island developing states. St. Kitts and Nevis is one of those countries that significantly needs an injection. We are at the point of about to construct a smart, smart climate resilient hospital that will benefit states, surrounding states. The issue is where do we get the finances from? 
do we go to the CBI program, which again isn't cannot be sustained because that props up the economy of the country? Do we take a hundred million dollars to pump into building a hospital and and leave people without food? Do we take some other monies from somewhere else, from the, the, the government coffers to put into building or rebuilding because of COVID, uh, because of cl uh, climate change and all this, then we still have to put money into the fishery sector, the health sector. So it, it's a lot of, of, of moving parts that the developed world needs to understand that small island states like St. Kitts and Nevis, we really need the assistance we have so much that we want to do in terms of building and being resilient, climate resilient. But at the end of the day, we are just not getting that assistance. I'm optimistic, but at the same time, I'm not really optimistic that the developed world will actually come on board. Uh, they, they've become like West Indies now. You can't bet your last dollar because at the end of the day, West Indies will disappoint you. So I'm, I'm the one who is disappointed until I'm surprised with a victory. Thank you very much, Jermaine. So the red line in this, we need the we need climate finance now and not tomorrow. Because if that finance does not come very quick, we as the region, we as the Caribbean might not survive the impacts of climate change. And while countries like Barbados and Guyana are getting some aid, some finances, it's still not enough to um to 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 to, to come back from all the impacts that we're facing um, from climate change. So with this, everyone, we are at the end of our climate uh, pod, uh, climate calabash podcast recording. And that's it for the show. The topic was money talks and how are Caribbean countries getting climate finances? I hope that question is answered by all, by the three experienced journalists in the region that we have with us today thank you all for being with me and being with us and this was climate tracker weekly don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter and visit our website at climatetracker.org join us again next time for another episode of climate tracker weekly have a nice day everyone bye bye